0: The skill to build Feature X is much less important than the skill to know what other thing out there in the world does Feature X.
1: Hey there, Powderkeg fans. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and this is episode 90 of Powderkeg Igniting Startups, the show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators building remarkable tech companies in areas decidedly outside of Silicon Valley. Today on the show, you'll hear from two product-minded leaders at Springbuck, one of the fastest growing companies, not just in Indianapolis, but probably the Midwest, maybe even the country. It's really an exciting product because Springbuck is a health analytics and intelligence platform for employers and benefits consultants. Now, that might not sound exciting if you're not in the healthcare space, but it is really amazing what they're doing for HR tech and for healthcare tech, and you're going to hear from two of the engineering and product leaders on the front lines of building the product at Springbuck. Our first guest is Roger Dietz, who has been a longtime member of the powder community, probably almost a decade at this point. He's led multiple dev teams at Angie's List, converting their legacy platform. Lots of case studies there, and of course they were acquired by HomeAdvisor not too long ago. Uh, he's played several roles in tech companies, including designer, developer, architect, leader, and he's now the VP of engineering at Springbuck. Our next guest is Jeremy Leventhal, who is a high impact leader with 15 years of experience building products and product teams. He's launched two high growth product divisions from scratch and has a strong focus on innovation in healthcare and health tech. Tons of uh, experience in his career, working in health systems, academia, consulting, startups. He's now the chief product officer at Springbuck. And quick bonus, they met a few years ago at Powderkeg Pitch Night right here in Indianapolis where Powderkeg is headquartered, which is always great to hear. Uh, our next event at Powderkeg is actually Thursday, June 20th at Industry Downtown where one of the leaders will actually present SpringBuck and the latest on their product and kind of what the future looks like. So check that out. If you're not able to be here physically or if tickets are sold out, which probably they are, uh, you can go to facebook.com slash Keg to check out the live stream. In this podcast episode, you'll learn about the ins and outs of product teams, how product leaders approach the team's organization, what to build, make the best investments in product, and ultimately build the product teams that flourish and grow. Uh, So let's hop right into this conversation about leading product teams with Roger Dietz and Jeremy Leventhal from Springbok. Hey, thank you both so much for being here. It's uh, good to have you in downtown Indianapolis. I hope you didn't have to travel too far to be here. Uh, Where are you guys headquartered and what are you guys building right now? Jeremy, you mind giving
2: us kind of the high level of the, what the product is? Uh, sure. Yeah. So we're at the at the Union Five to Five South Meridian. There, uh, excited to be the first tenant, the anchor tenant That's of awesome. that building. We've uh, started small. We broke down a wall, went to second room, and now we're busting out uh, from the seams there. So. Uh, yeah, Springbuck overall, those companies, a uh, health intelligence platform. So, we're kind of a digital health solution for employers to reduce costs and improve the health of their most valuable asset, their employees. Yeah. So, uh, it's, a, it's a great area to be in, a hot time to be in it. And, uh, you know, we have a great team that's surrounding it.
1: Well, I'd love to kind of hear your journey, Jeremy, to being at Springbuck, if you don't mind. Uh, can you kind of give us an, an idea of your path to Springbuck? Maybe starting with your earliest memory of getting interested in product and technology. And then Roger, I, I want I would love to hear the same from you, but oh, yeah, big, if you could kick us big off. Big question, yeah.
2: big meatball. I know, right? Where did it all start? Uh, where did it all start? I mean, I, I've always, uh, I think just being a curious person to always ask why uh, is probably where it started. Yeah. So, you know, I love the- Did your parents ever find that annoying? Yeah, they did. <laughs> only child, so yeah. kind of shout that out, let the world know now, yeah. uh, only child. But um, yeah, I, I'd say I started, uh, not to date myself too far back here, you know, about 16 years ago. Um, working in New York City, and I got an internship at a company that was fortunate enough to say, you know, we want to be working within um, electronic health records. At the time, it was actually called Digital Health Records, so they had this great idea to build a digital medical record, and I got to kind of do a lot of the groundwork research of going to the New York Hospital, New York Presbyterian, Um, And a bunch of different ones down in in Manhattan there to experiment and and understand what the problems were. So talking to the head of nursing, talking to the physicians, talking to the pharmacists, uh, physical therapists within the hospital and saying kind of what are your needs and and how would you use a digital a record a digital health record, and do, really, do you like
1: that kind of work? Do you like having all those conversations with these different types of people? I mean, at the time, I did. I still do. <laughs> uh,
2: a little different than it was, you know, then to now. I think now is a little bit more strategic conversations. Those were just the raw grinding it out, figuring out like what are the problems that um, these people are having with their current siloed systems. I mean, they had hundreds of these within a hospital. Each department had their own different system, so. I just got very interested in like, wow! I can I can hear what the problems of these people are. I can bring all this research back. I can kind of uh, put it into themes. I can prioritize it, and then I can make a recommendation for what to do. Yeah, and I think at, at the end of the day, product that's that's a big part of what product is about. And then you. Prioritize what it is that you should be doing with all the other things that the business can be doing
1: What what was one of the biggest lessons you learned in that role? One of the
2: biggest lessons I think I learned and and this is stuck with me is you think about electronic health records as they are today And you just think about physicians, right? Um, there are just a cast of Mm -hmm. other actors that are around that and Mm -hmm. Realizing how much the nurses do um, and specific like specifically the nursing world um, all of the pre-work and then the post work for the very slim amount of time that the physician comes in the nurses actually are are huge users of this kind of thing which you Mm. you might not think and the way people have built unfortunately to date uh these electronic health records is around billing so they're not really suited for the physician or the nurse or any of these supporting cast of actors and um that
1: explains a lot about my doctor's visits (laughs) (laughs) while they're looking at the computer the whole time (laughs) versus talking to you and exactly so yeah that's a big that's a big lesson yeah and so how did you end up uh, doing what you're doing now at Springbuck, um, and in Indianapolis yeah. from New York City.
2: Indy, uh, so so from New York, transplanted out here after uh, high school. Went to college at, at IU Bloomington, okay. so Hoosier. Yep, nice. Uh, officially spent half my life out here. Nice. In, in May now, so I'm pretty excited. so awesome. My next 18 mm-hmm. years are out here, milestone, and uh, you know, met a girl and had uh, had a couple kids and. Uh, enjoyed a great life out here, and so that's the that's the personal side. But yeah. the professional side is India is an unbelievable uh, hot spot for digital health. I mean. Not just looking at Lilly and the drug companies and Roche, the medical hardware, but the Indiana Health Information Exchange, Regan Street Institute, uh, the academia around here. I mean, it's really exploded and yeah. it's continuing to explode. So I got a little wind of that. Plus, I love the city. And uh, this is a great place to be able to launch a business. I think as we're seeing from all the, work that, the great work that you guys are doing and a lot of the publicity and uh, venture capitalists flying out of, the, uh, out of the mountains and coming over <laughs> to the flyover <laughs> states, right? There's yeah, real great yeah. stuff that we're doing here. And it's fun to see that kind of come to fruition and be acknowledged. So, you know, how did I get to Springbuck? Um, yeah, Springbuck's a big part of that. I mean, setting some records in terms
1: of fundraises, growth. Uh, it's it's a shining example of what's possible here.
2: Yeah, it's 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 amazing. I mean, it was a risk coming here. I'd say you know the the, the two biggest reasons uh, were Rod Reason and Phil Daniels. So our co-founders. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they they hunted me down, and I was also very interested in what they were doing. But um, you know. They they just sold me on what they were trying to do mm. and the mission. And- what was it
1: about it that really like you're like I gotta I gotta make the the leap because I, I imagine you weren't working at startups previously or have you always been?
2: No, so, so I kind of had been at a couple startups my whole career has okay. been, been in academia, okay. it's been in nonprofit. it's been in consulting, um, and it's been generally not bigger companies. I don't yeah. have all the big names behind my resume. So I feel like I do well in general in the smaller to mid-size with, with less shackles to do okay. what you want. So I had a great opportunity to form a product division. InnovateMap previously was running the product division here, and yeah. um, there was about 16 people they're and awesome.
1: We've had them on the podcast before. Yeah, they're yeah.
2: they're a great team. And yeah. we're lucky enough to have Lacey and Christian like on our team, yeah. you know, who are the co-leaders of that company, uh, were actually doing the work for us and leading Springbok. So they produced a great uh, product that we got to. It was a wonderful handoff. Uh, but I really got to uh, make this thing with, with my own hands. And, and Rod just said, you know, run free and, and build this thing up. So it started with just me uh, and a few engineers, 16 people. Um, and we... It was just a very enticing opportunity i think to to see like i can i can mold this with my own two hands so they sold me on the vision i wanted to do it um and then you know 16 people to 112 or roger where are we 115 something 115. like that now that's awesome uh, three years been been quite a ride um, yeah. for where we've been to
1: well i'm sure you've learned a lot so i want to dive into that in a minute but yeah. first roger uh i'm very curious about your story because i think you and i met through the community, I don't know, maybe probably eight, ten years eight, eight, ago, eight nine yeah. years ago, maybe ten years yeah. ago. Yeah. So, uh, tell me a little bit about how you ended up uh, at Springbug. Again,
0: first first
1: memory of technology. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, I want to hear this. Glimmer, right. first memory, <laughs> <of> glimmer <laughs> tech in your eye. Yeah.
0: Well, I grew up on on a dairy farm in northern Indiana. Full and of tech. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Busting at the scene. And my first exposure to tech was actually computer camp when I was in fifth grade, and we nice. spent the summer formatting floppy disks for. For both Apple PC and Commodore, so oh, wow. I, I will. I will actual floppy I, or like the three and a half. No, inch. The, no, the yeah, the five and a quarter. Literally, yeah. floppy. so I will. I yeah. will shamelessly date myself because I'm. <laughs> I'm really proud of the the length of time I've I've had in this career. Yeah, so you earned your stripes, right? Yeah. Uh, I um, also like Jeremy was was an IU grad, uh, studied business, and then my first job after college was at Install Shield um, near Chicago. And nice. so it was, you know, some old timers might remember the Install Shield Wizard. Installing games on your computer. I'm sure some of my highly questionable code is still running on (laughs) billions of Windows machines around the world. Um, Explains a lot. I feel safe (laughs) knowing that, just to be clear. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, it makes me nervous. This is why I'm a Mac user. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Uh, Yeah, so after that um, time at InstallShield, I moved to Indy circa 2004 uh, to kind of get closer to family. And coming, coming from Chicago to Indy around 2004, kind of my first experience yeah. in the tech world was like, oh my, what have I done? <laughs> um, but it has been so awesome to see this community get together and rise up and all of the great stuff that's happened here in the past, you know, 15 years or so has really made it so great. And for me personally, I just feel so proud to be part of building this thing as well as reaping its benefits. It's it's, it's a community unlike any I've seen. So
1: I feel super
0: lucky uh, to, to get to ride the wave too. Mm-hmm. It's been fun. Yeah.
1: So tell me a little bit about how you broke into tech here in Indy.
0: Yeah, so my first job was at a medical device uh, sales automation company called No Inc, which, is, which was a rose Holman venture uh, way ahead of its time because we were doing mobile development before the iPhone and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, Robert also, Harris has been on the podcast. <coughs> yep, here absolutely. 18, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Robert and I go way back. Um, he was one of the first people I worked with. That's awesome. So I was there a while and then moved on to uh, Double Take, which is now Carbonite. And so I I had a little bit of sales experience, like like sales software experience at No Inc. Double Take is a pure B two B, you know, kind of desktop software, you know, server software platform. Um, I was there a while, and then moved on to Angie's List, and that was my first B two C, kind of large scale web experience. Um, And while I was there, that was a time that Angie's List really needed to grow. Explosively and get off of its monolithic architecture. Yeah. And so, me and a, and a handful of folks were kind of the leaders of the platform trans, transformation, which was a multi year, multi million dollar thing that <clears throat> is probably going to be the subject of case studies for, for years to come. <laughs> and there were. How, how did you find those opportunities? You know,
1: as you kind of went from knowing mm-hmm. to double take to Angie's mm-hmm. list, what was kind of the, were, were there any common threads for how you were finding that next venture?
0: Yeah, I was always just looking for the next awesome project. Yeah. I I really got the drug in me. Install Shield, where we were building brand new stuff, and then No Ink was a brand new thing, and and Double Take had really taken off at the time I joined, and then Angie's List was really on the cusp of taking off. So I just was always looking for. A great company that I believed in and one that had a great trajectory in front of it and, and being able to, to join at a time when they were getting ready to go was really exciting to me. Try to find that moment right before Ignition when it like really
1: blows up into something mm-hmm. big. Yep. That's smart. <laughs> what were some of the biggest <laughs> lessons you learned in
0: those early vent- ventures, good, bad, or ugly? Um, Really, I think the most important thing is is learning what... What feels right when things are working well and how to kind of tell when things aren't yeah yeah. And that's something that you can really only learn with with hard knocks um, because every company's technology is different every company's team is different but Learning to listen to that spidey sense of ah, this is going off the rails or you know what? This is really crushing it. We need to double down here like that was what I took away from those places
1: anything that people can do to develop that spidey sense without massive failures or massive (laughs) projects maybe not always failures Sure, sure um
0: any thoughts on that how you could
1: develop some of that sixth sense
0: yeah well i think i think number one trust your own gut like if like if it feels good it's probably working pretty well and then number two but even more importantly trust the what your people are telling you so just talk to the team talk to the people involved talk to the other groups and other departments that are interfacing with those people like if you're hearing good things and if people have smiles on their faces like that's a really good sign and, and if people are doing a lot of complaining or if people are, are seeming anxious like well probably something's not working <laughs> yeah
1: absolutely and and so Jeremy tell me uh, do you remember when you first met Roger
2: yeah, no, I do. It's funny, funny enough. Um, was at a power keg event. We were down at the, uh, the hi-fi nice. there nice. and, um, Rod, our CEO is presenting for the business doing the, the kind of quick, you know, five minute pitch. Cool. Uh, and I, I remember bumped, that pitch bumped into this guy <laughs> over here. Yeah. Um, you know, struck up a conversation as many people do at those events and kind of understood where he was at. And we happened to kind of be looking at the time I was leading product and engineering. And we happened to be looking for uh, a really solid uh, additional leader mm-hmm. to that team. So uh, we were lucky enough to kind of continue talking and, and having a few lunches throughout yeah. the year and finding the right time for him. Obviously, Angie's List was going through uh, a lot of transformation at that time and, you know, definitely knew that Roger was, was interested yeah. in a move, but I think, you know, seeing where things were shaking out. So yep. uh, I don't know. What, what did you think? I'm curious on the other receiving end of <laughs> yeah. that. that says, Cause that? I'm, oh, a, I'm I... a hunter when I, when I go out <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. And
0: I, I'm, I, I remember it very clearly. Uh, yeah. I remember the pitch. I remember Rod's pitch and being really impressed, just like Jeremy said a minute ago, yeah. being impressed with Rod himself, being impressed with the idea of spring buck. It's 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 a when you hear it sort of presented to you, you're like, that's an amazing idea. And that's a super important problem to solve. So I was already intrigued. And then I also got to meet another very intriguing person in, in Jeremy, who um, anyone who knows Jeremy knows that he doesn't do a soft sell. He goes straight to the, straight to the hard sell. <laughs> And so, yeah, it was, it was, fortunate. To the <laughs> exactly. it was fortunate to keep the conversation going for a while. And, and yeah, just the, the timing need to need to work out. And, and then eventually it, it did. And it's been great.
1: I, I'm really happy to hear that. And I'm glad you guys stayed in touch. I, I know it's just as easy to let things kind of fizzle out and lose touch with people. Sounds like you were pretty intentional about that. Jeremy, was there sort of, did you have like a master plan or was it kind of, um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you stayed in touch through the hire? Because I think a lot of people, whether you're a professional and, and m- looking to make a move, like understanding that relationship or you're an employer mm-hmm. and understanding how you build that talent pipeline, I think just understanding a little bit more of that relationship is could be helpful.
2: Yeah, sure. I, I mean, master plan sounds pretty professional. <laughs> yeah, uh, It was probably more of just, I think um, as a leader, I'm sure Roger thinks the same way here. I think you're, you're always trying to keep relationships up and yeah. that can mean two things. One is just you know, keeping up good in the community and understanding what people are doing. And, you know, are you using techniques that are ahead of the curve, behind the curve? Um, are there other things that you can learn? So going to the events, going to Product Tank, right? Go, doing all the different things. Yeah. Um, but I think um, I think probably the other angle just with, with, with Roger is how do you, um, you know, when you have an idea of what you're going to build, um, how do you kind of keep people interested in the idea of what you're going to build? And then also... Yeah. Um, say like i I, i'm looking over the next six months three months year to build out this thing and and how do you get as many great candidates that you're talking to in the pipeline knowing that hopefully you you get lucky enough to get one of them right so that's we really just kind of kept in touch um through some lunches and phone calls and I tried to keep him abreast of what was going on in the business. So he said that he heard the initial sell from Rod. Um, I wanted to kind of keep feeding him where we're at and where we're growing and see if those are our interest points for him. So as Roger said, he likes to find that explosive moment in the company. And I kind of felt that from him. So I was trying to give him the bits and pieces of, all right, Well, when you come on, I expect that we, we might form a whole new team, like, and that's your decision. So giving him the pieces that, that I know that he wanted to do, but that we also needed. So, yeah, I mean, cool. I think, again, community plus always recruiting is just something built in to a good leader that, that you always just need to make time for probably you know, each week, each month.
1: Sure. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing that just because it, it can feel like magic sometimes and, and total happenstance. But it sounds like you're pretty intentional about it. Maybe not master plan, a <laughs> intentional, of intentional. Um, and it sounds like, Roger, too, you're pretty intentional about figuring out what that next move might be like. And then even joining the team, do you remember what that was like? Uh, joining on at this, I don't know if you'd say it was a startup at the time or more of like a scale up. Um, but how many people? How many people were here when you
0: joined? What number were you? Uh, my number, I think, is seventy three. I think there's maybe you know sixty five or so like that.
1: Yeah. Okay, nice.
0: So um, when you joined the team, t- tell me a little bit about what you were doing and what that, what that was like at that moment in time. Yeah. So I, I was coming into a. Again, a company that was clearly on the, on the up trajectory. I think I had started not long after the, the actual Series B had been announced, so, so it was a really exciting time to, yeah, to get in awesome. and, and meet the folks. I knew there was a great core there because obviously there was a great product, and, and you, know, you don't raise that kind of money without being able to, to convince folks you've, you've got a good team and a good vision. So at that point it was really then just meet everyone try to figure out what is the next moves we need to make to really operate at scale because we were going to go from from the the Growth that got us to that point, but then the expectations were now going to be that much higher for the next level. So figuring yeah. out, again, working a lot with Jeremy and, and uh, Steve Caldwell, who was uh, on the technology team at the time, or is still on the technology team. <laughs> um, still is a good man. Still yeah. is a good man. <laughs> and working with Jeremy and Steve to figure out, like, what, what does the team look like? What are the spots we need to fill? Um, what are the, the process moves we need to make to become a really well-oiled machine? And then, as we said just a moment ago, like getting into recruiting and building that pipeline of folks to bring on and, and figuring out what were some of the right technical investments we needed to make to keep performance up and stability and all those sorts of things. So, You joined a lot of team, teams over your 16 careers, you've been involved in some really
1: cool projects and products. Uh, any advice to people who are joining an engineering team? Uh, what to do in those first few weeks or months?
0: Yeah, first, just listen to everyone, meet everyone you can, listen to everyone, particularly if you're going to be in a position of engineering leadership, meet all the engineers, but even other folks in sales and marketing and customer support and meet everyone you can, listen to everyone you can. You just walk around desk to desk. Hi, I'm Roger. Nice to meet you. I'm I'm a little more introverted than that so I usually <laughs> I usually start with a calendar invite or a Slack message but yeah. but fundamentally yeah that's what where you got to get to Cool um, and then once you've kind of got your arms around the on the people then I like to go to first principles on the technology and mm. just read the code read the database like I don't you know in my day job today I don't do a lot of coding but you need to have empathy for the folks that are building the the machine and The devil is in the details so so even if you're not gonna do a bunch of individual contribution in the code it never hurts to read it and spend time with it so those are things i like to do
1: yeah i appreciate you sharing that advice and perspective uh jeremy as you're kind of building this product team uh
2: tell me about how that role has changed since you joined the team oh my gosh yes from starting as a team of one yeah uh to adding my uh my, my next in command in product, who was our product manager, product designer, QAing at the time, also wow. also has some back end uh, or also has some front end code uh, experience. <laughs> I mean, the guy's amazing, Jason Kinsley. So, um, just even just the one and the two, um, we're, we're big believers in keep doing it until it breaks. And I was actually going to bring that up as you were talking about I when you like came it. in with with 60 people. We were probably, when you came in, Roger, with 60 people doing what was at the time now breaking from what we were doing probably with 25 30 people so you walked into what was probably at its max pressure limit but with 60 people in the org now uh total not not just engineering um so yeah i mean starting out with with us though i mean just slowly adding areas as we need them. Mm. And I think, um, that probably does two things. One is it's a great thing for the business and capital wise, it's a smart thing to do, but you let those people learn everything that you need to know and in product you need to be incredibly versatile and, and know a lot of different things as you know. Um, but I think two, it also allows the, people that as you're, as you're building it out to say, um, you know, I, these are things I want to be doing in the business. These are things I don't want to be doing. And then let those people kind of grow up themselves and then recommend, I don't want to be doing this thing anymore. I think we should hire this other person. So, um, it was really interesting starting doing everything, being in the app every single day, triaging every client issue, building every item in the roadmap to now, like, let's fast forward now to a, a team at scale. And we have 115 people in the org product and engineering, what are we 40 something within that yeah um what's really cool just again fast-forwarding all the way up to today is we have some top-down things that roger and i are very interested in doing and consulting with the rest of the leadership team and and our thoughts about where the business is going and we do a hybrid model of of mixing and matching that with what are the teams thinking so the autonomy of those teams and they're seeing things that we don't see at all that are a lot of the right things to be doing so I think combining the behaviors of the top-down and, if you will, Mm -hmm. bottom-up approach to find that really happy uh, medium and that happy middle is creating this process that we're just excited to see playing out. I mean, we said this at our roadmap review meeting, which is a bunch of product and engineering and project management people, uh, just seeing this world work between the two and allowing the teams to find uh, the rocks, as we call them, of what they're accountable for in the upcoming quarter, set those deadlines for themselves and then find that balance of the things that we're interested in doing to move the business forward, we found a great place that's, that really is playing into the overall culture and the people that are there. I think it mirrors that, uh, that thing that's been hard to describe as we know as culture yeah. that you've seen from us. So. Oh,
1: And I'd love to dig into that a little bit deeper. But uh, curious, you know, as you scaled this team, um, any high growth tech company is going to hit some bumps along the way, uh, make some missteps along the way. And the goal is to obviously correct the misstep and get it back on track. Any of those that um, that kind of happen al- along the path of growing this
2: team out at Springbok. Yeah, I, I think I'd love, I'd love open to hear your thoughts too, Roger. I mean, I think, and I mentioned a little bit of this even uh, in a meeting this morning, but I think as you get to each level, you're trying new things out and you're doing the best you can with the information that you have. So totally. you see uh, expanding of the org, you see contracting of the org. And I don't mean like letting people go. I just mean in terms of reorganization. Yeah. Um, and I think reorgs are tough mm-hmm. across the board. I mean, you mm-hmm. look at Glassdoor, people are like, the leadership doesn't know what they're doing and various companies and mm-hmm. a lot of that's just attributed to growing pains There's certain people that are built for them certain people. that are not built for them So right. we try to number one hire leaders that can go through it and handle the growing pains and and put on that proud great face on the other side But we also need to hire the individual um, Workers of the company that that are doing the work to be able to handle those growing pains as well And sure and they have questions and we're in an open and transparent Culture, so I think build it. You know, build for tough for the for the slogan of people as as they continue. They're not to come a sponsor, in. but right. Yeah. We'll give you that one. For not a free sponsor Ford. today. Yeah. I'm a car guy. Sorry, nice. but I think as long as you hire that pedigree of people yeah. and you you get used to those behaviors, I think that that's what's what's made us as strong as we are. What do you think, Roger?
0: Yeah, I think the main lessons learned. You might call them bumps in the road, but I think really are just around scaling those communication paths because the, mm. the communication path that works when you can all sit in the same room and poke your head up and talk to someone doesn't work when you're spread across two halves of the building. And, yeah. and so finding a way to encourage the transparency, encourage the, the free exchange of information, but also just being efficient about it. And and once you get to the point where you're spread across two halves of the building, not everybody can be in all the same room at the same time. And so the decision-making process kind of changes. And, and so I think just working through those, and again, it's been, you know, um, at the Springbuck team lead level and leadership level, we've got a great attitude to, to work together and, and figure that out. So, um, th- that's been part of the, the journey.
2: I feel, I feel like one last one now, and this is probably an interesting topic, could be its own little podcast, <laughs> um making the really tough decisions about what you build in the near term versus uh, paying that kind of longer term debt and and when to make those decisions. And you can have the best philosophical conversation in the world about what if we made this great decision to make, you know, did our data pipeline is a huge initiative for the company right now and making that thing the smartest, most robust, scalable data pipeline possible. You know, what if we made that decision to really invest in that? two and a half years ago? Where would we be as a company? And you know, some of our fundamentals um, might look a little bit better, however, we wouldn't have probably invested in some of the innovation, some of the shinier stuff, some of the things that are differentiating us today, which that's a really important thing in our industry to be differentiated and look sure. different than our competitors. That's even why we're called Spring Buck, to be an agile, nimble kind of animal that's able to like quickly attack things and, like and put things together. So, um, I think for us, and, and Roger, again, love your viewpoint on this, but we made a lot of trade-offs. Um, so we built up a lot of this debt. I think, thankfully, Roger joined and like was an accountant and and began to you know look at that debt and learn how to pay it off. But a lot of those trade-offs are really tough things for a company as you're scaling up. Am I going to make this move that I know I might have to rewrite it in six months to a year? Totally. Yeah. But it's gonna allow us to either land this big client or a client wants to grow significantly. And, and how do you make those decisions? So that's, I feel like that's a, a really tough spot um, when you think about that growth and challenge.
1: Well, and you mentioned um, just how nimble you have to be when you're a high growth tech company, growing at the pace that you are. Uh, that means a lot of people might not identify with uh, seeing themselves work at that company or working well in that kind of a, sure. an environment. Um, but what would you say to, a let's say, a software engineer earlier in their career, what kind of benefit do you get by working at a, at a company like that? And Roger, you've been at a few, so <laughs> um, what,
0: what kinds of benefit have you seen by working in a higher-growth tech company? Yeah, I think the biggest benefit is you just get to... You get exposure to all different aspects of the business and aspects of the process that you might not if you were joining a large operation that already has an opinion about how they work yeah and so when you're in on the the, maybe not the ground floor or an early floor of a company like that you either intentionally are able to shape or you are unintentionally soaking up all of the tools you need to be able to shape it and and so that that's a that's i think a blessing for any new engineer to to join a place where the processes are being built the decisions about the technology are being made the priority decisions about the product are being made because you're seeing all that and that knowledge just pays off big time throughout the rest of your career
2: but also when the processes are built the opportunity for our team to say this isn't working or we could be doing this better and Throughout, I think Springbok's history. I think that's where we've seen people flourish and yeah. grow. Um, so yeah, there's people that want to come to the to their job and, and clock in at eight and leave at four. And there's plenty of companies around town that you can do that. And that's wait a second, there are. That's a great <laughs> and that's a great that's a great lifestyle. And no knocking any of those. I'm I just totally think, kidding. I, yeah, that I, sounds I, terrible. It's <laughs> weird. We're all sitting in a room. That's not that, our universe, right? Uh, yeah. um, and I yeah. think that's what we all expect from all of our generation. Like spending twenty plus and minus years is like I think that's just what people want these days they want to be able to write their own ticket and feel like they're owning their own universe but they're also part of a team and they're working jointly towards something whether it's building the product or building the process around it
1: well it seems like the role of software engineer is changing so quickly what are some of the ways that you're seeing that role change as the industry changes as technology continues to uh, change at a faster and faster pace
0: yeah for me the biggest thing is that the the skill to build feature X is much less important than the skill to know what other thing out there in the world does feature X Mm. because even, 10 or 15 years ago, there weren't so many services, there weren't so many gems, there weren't so many things. And so everybody built their own logging and everybody built their own payment gateway and everybody built their own whatever. And now like there's no need to do that because there's so many services available. And so being a smart engineer and a smart technologist to know, hey, this is core to our product, we should build that that not core to our product we need to find something that can help out and that's always been true to some extent but like right now it's more true (laughs) never true right Yeah, that's a good insight. Anything to add there?
2: You know, I think there's a lot of different models uh, in town. I mean, Salesforce went to a uh, the, the SDM, Software Development Managers or the Scrum Masters model. Yeah, uh, I think there's cases in different companies based off of different skill sets and the type of work you're doing to say, you know, well, the engineers should also be doing XYZ. I mean, for us, what it means is let's let the engineers focus as hardcore as they can on the work and support them with the best cast of people that built that product. So the additional thing for me on the engineer side, I think is, is number one, being able to use that supporting cast and that support Mm. system, but also being able to that supporting cast look like. Oh, so it's, it's your, it's your project manager, which is our Scrum master. um, it's your product designer and it's your product manager today. Uh, We also have a product marketing manager. So the more that we create these hybrid teams and really everyone is chipping in on everything from idea, design, creation, scoping, and size QA, we see that pitch in, and then we see the best quality products with the least errors.
1: Yeah. What's it like working uh, in product and engineering at Springbuck? Like, are you shipping new code every month? Uh, what? How often are you guys all getting together in the same room? How are you guys communicating? Can you give me kind of a snapshot of, of what that... I know there's not a typical day, but...
0: Yeah, well... Um, We've got a really strong thing going here and I, I will I will brag on the team and our process all day. So that's sure. that's a question I'm I'm pleased to answer. <laughs> uh, we have basically five delivery teams working two week sprints. They're all on the same schedule, so we do get everyone together at the end of a sprint to do a department-wide demo show off what we did talk about what's next it's it's a great it's my favorite meeting of of a two-week period to to see all the great work that's going out there nice um and you know to answer your question about shipping we shipped a production probably five maybe ten times a day so we as soon as the build is green as soon as it's gotten a couple code reviews and a qa sign off it goes when it's ready and of course for for larger things you know the, the product team controls when we launch that with feature flags and all that. But in terms of getting code out the door, being able to take risks and recover quickly, I mean, we're shipping, you know, hundreds of times in a sprint. That's great. Anything to add?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I think even zooming out a little bit farther, that's that's the execution that's d- delivery, which yeah. we, we just are all so proud and it's exciting just to see that that work. And again, big testament to the team for that. Totally. I think zooming out um, to some of the process we've built around How do we uh, intake ideas through all of the various sources? How do we prioritize those ideas? How do we bring it to the joint prod tech team to discuss, as we talked about earlier, when we do kind of our roadmap reviews? Some of that process has been, again, the the best process I've ever worked in. Um, So not only are we getting to help define it, not only are we getting to experience it, um, we're getting to, to learn from it and from the team who then wants to make it better. And I think that that well-oiled machine is just churning out from idea to full continuous integration, continuous delivery. You're just seeing things happen fast. Uh, We're trying to adopt more betas, um, and find friendly customers who are interested to just get access to stuff early and give us feedback. Our team just did like five user interviews on like this major feature in the last, uh, like two days, literally. Wow. And so just again, seeing that nimbleness. Um, It's really exciting because you you asked back in the early days, we just didn't have the resources to say, let's go focus on this. Let's just go find five, 10 people to go test it with. Right. And today it's like, we we can say, let's go do that. And then the machine works in that direction.
1: Do you still feel like you're moving like a startup in terms of uh,
2: using lean startup process? Oh yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I startup. It's such a it's such a hard word, and sometimes it's used just to attract people. I mean, sure. we're we're in full scale up mode. Yep. Um, I think the startup culture mentality, which I'll just say is like a good people mentality, really. Yeah. Um, I think that that is just working well, and it works across the board. I mean, everyone. If you're if you're in sales, you might get frustrated with some things. Like for example, we don't we don't put stuff in demo that isn't um, isn't isn't ready. Yeah. Our demo, actually, we, we, we launch, so it goes QA, and then it hits um, production. After it's in production, we'll put it into demo. Okay. So you can imagine sales being like, well, where's my stuff? I need to sell six months ahead. And we've created a culture by with uh, by which we do sort of fuzzy roadmaps, we share things that we have high levels of certainty with with our clients. Roger and I are very, very tight on, we're about to share something that might be coming up in a quarter, what's our, our probability of it getting something out there that we can get in people's hands so mm-hmm. that we, uh, can do what we say we're going to do.
1: Yeah, that's some good discipline. Yeah. That's awesome. It's
2: taken a while to, to get there. Um, we had to change a bit of culture, uh, how things were previously run to, to do that. Can I think you talk most to things me a little are...
1: bit about that? I mean, I, I imagine every startup deals with this where, you know, you've got sales saying, yeah. I want to or sales even going rogue, not even asking permission. <laughs> Just, you know, I've, I've certainly been at
2: startups like I, that. That would never happen. Startups, yeah, beyond startups, probably. We to know be some clear, big companies. we all
1: love salespeople. <laughs> they, they help keep the lights on, but sometimes yeah. can go rogue. No,
2: I mean, our sales team is amazing, yeah, too. Totally. I, I think originally you started out, and when you do start really small in the union, you go to Startup Alley, you see you know, one-person companies, 10-person right. companies. Um, you, you do have to sell ahead. Period. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Early on, you got to sell your wireframes that you've drawn up on a napkin. Like, You have to sell ahead early on. I think you just need to find the right balance of what you sell ahead, to whom you're selling ahead to. Are you shaking hands about it? Are you inking it into performance guarantee in your contract? Um, what is the client actually expecting? Are they expecting the full feature or are they expecting progress? You got to get down to the real details or you sure. can end up in a mess and you can lose customers. So um, I think just shifting that over time from sales-led to a hybrid of product, sales-led, idea portal, which is anyone in the company can submit an idea and they can upvote it. We use AHA for that. Nice. Um, and, and then also allowing all the ideas to come from both leadership and from the individual team. We just have a very holistic approach to how we think about building up product and the ideas and vetting them.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we talked a lot about this um, indirectly, but what makes a good startup culture? if there were one thing you could kind of point to, or one thing that comes to mind, uh, having worked at several startups, what makes a good startup culture? Uh,
2: To you. This is a personal answer, right? In in my opinion, I think the one thing I would always go back to through my, my whole career, you could say so much on culture, I would just say trust. And I would say trust and the faith in the people that you hire, the people who report to you, the people who are your peers. And everything else that comes with culture and whether you communicate or not, whether you have a process or not, all that stuff, trust trumps, I believe, every one of those things. I think if you have good trust and you have good people, um, you can overcome almost anything else.
0: Yeah. And as a very closely related item to that, I would say the the transparency and the ability to people have... For people to have a voice in in whatever the thing is right and i think to me that's the big differentiator from when you think of like mega corp where everything rolls downhill and everything's defined and you know no one no one really feels like they can affect change in that kind of organization to a startup where everyone is affecting change all the time and hopefully hopefully (laughs) right and hopefully for the best and and you're you're transparent with with the folks on the team doing that and you know you're you're trusting one another you know to me having a an environment where everyone is encouraged and coached to affect change like that's what makes a great startup culture i i really like those both
1: good answers mm-hmm. and has springbuck written down its core values mm-hmm. do you guys
2: have a favorite core value <laughs> they're they're <laughs> written in all of our rooms <laughs> oh man uh for, i i guess for for me raise the bar i think is the coolest one that yeah. we have i don't know if roger you were gonna say like on it. a different one
0: yeah I, well I, I was gonna go with win together so it's a good it's, it's a good yeah. tag team effort here um yeah, yeah I, I think just the spirit of we we work with each other both within engineering, within product and engineering, with product engineering and sales and marketing and finance and everything. And we, we really do take that win together attitude seriously. I love that. I like raising the bar
2: too. Yeah, raise the bar is just such a cool one. The team sort of took out some of the generic stuff and and someone I think said that term one day and maybe they read it in an article somewhere. But just in everything that we do, not even in just the work that you're doing, but when you're thinking about building a new process, uh, when you're thinking about speaking somewhere, like our other one is Never Settle, which is about growth, internal growth. How do I challenge myself? I think it all still comes back to though, how are you raising the bar? How are you raising the bar professionally? How are you raising the bar personally? Um, for everything that you do as the person that you show up to work with. I like that a lot. Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, career,
1: Uh, finding a career in engineering in product um, and and managing that career because, uh, well, I'll start with you, Roger, because you've you've had a very interesting career with a lot of companies I'm very familiar with. Um, You know, a lot of engineers, I don't want to generalize, really any role a lot of people just put their head down and they're not really paying attention to what else is going on in the community what else is going on in their industry they're they're doing their job there the best they can but aren't necessarily don't necessarily have their peripherals open Mm -hmm. it seems like just based on you know the fact that i've seen you active in the community for the last 10 years um that that you haven't been that just only put your head down and keep blinders on. It seems like you kind of are, are keeping your eye on the horizon at all times.
0: Sure, yeah. Well, just for me personally, the the most important thing is, is finding mentors and finding folks that can kind of take you to that next level. Yeah. And I know that's advice that, that you hear often, but that doesn't make it any less true. And so for me, at every job I've had, every role I've had, I've had someone who really was mentoring me and pulling me along to things. And sometimes that was intentional, like within the company, and sometimes it was accidental. And so getting out there, meeting folks, being engaged in the community, you know, I, I, I myself consider myself introverted, and that's not unique among engineers. And so sometimes that maybe doesn't come naturally. But, but just being out there to give yourself the chance to meet folks and run into people that could become a mentor or provide some kind of help down the line. Like, I think that's just the single best thing you can do.
1: Well, you mentioned being an engineer at events. Uh, how should you network at events? What are some of the lessons you've learned
0: uh don't be afraid to say hi. Don't be afraid to to brag about yourself. Um don't be afraid to, you know, listen to listen to somebody when they give you the hard sell if they if they come up after the after the event. Um, you know, it's it's uh it, it's it's tempting sometimes maybe just to kind of like hang out with the folks that you know, but but you know, um don't be afraid to just have a conversation. Is there a right way to brag about yourself? Um I personally, you know, feel like it's, uh, it's a good look to um, be confident but not cocky. And so there's no, there's nothing wrong with, with confidently explaining things you've done in your career or things that you're proud of. Like, you know, when I'm hiring folks, I, I really love it when a candidate is confidently being proud of something they've built, right? Yeah. Most people become engineers because they love building stuff, and you should absolutely be proud of that. And there's, and there's no... You know, there's no shame in in speaking up and telling someone how proud you are about something you a part of or something you built.
2: You know, you know what I love. Conversely, though, too, I also love, um, no, knowing when you built something that was was not good. Yes. Um, and and hearing the humble, honest truth. Yes, that's yeah, that's that that that, that yeah. That's a great a interview fantastic. question too, just to <laughs> yeah. use, like, really right. test somebody out there, and they're like, oh, you know, I, I don't think I ever have. Uh, Participated in anything that was was poor I mean, come on. I mean, right. you, you have to know that one thing That's probably where you learn your most lessons. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, I would, I would probably just double down on the mentor thing I've, I've been very fortunate as well to have great mentors that have helped guide me but I think the other thing I would add and for those that know me, they'll, they'll probably laugh but I've, I've Written a lot of my own job descriptions throughout my whole career. So I've always continued mm-hmm. to find um, an area in the business and, and say it's a, it's it's a niche or it's a new area that that hasn't been formed and how do I like write up what this thing is there's a real need I'm, I just I've always had a business mind on my shoulders but I've been like a tech geek on the side and then a product nerd like the Holy Trinity mix there of whatever you want to call it but um, you got it yeah sure. <laughs> I got it for sure so I think I would just my encouragement would be, um, you know, people and product come from so many different backgrounds. You know, you might have some tech background. Um, you might be an industry expert in something, and you come in. You might be in a philosopher. I mean, there's all sorts of different places people come from, but. Um, look look at what the organization is trying to do and find the right roles and I think there is no one-size-fits-all product role it's just a hard thing to do so what is the company trying to do and where can you best serve it and and fit into it it might be more tech it might be more subject matter expert it might be more design based might be more project management based but um, come in there and don't be afraid to say this is where I think the organization needs help and I want to do it yeah looking
1: at specifically how how can you help the opportunity that the organization has not necessarily this is the work I want to do
2: what is the, bi- the problem F- with F- the business yeah exactly that's, right that's the important learn the business a great product manager knows beyond even their product how does their product solve a need for their users or customers the business yeah um, not just the narrow-minded you won't be a great product manager if you're just focused on your one area Oh, that's a good tidbit you both mentioned mentors is there one
1: mentor or a one mentor moment when maybe the right mentor kind of came by and, and gave you some good advice that you can think of? <laughs>
0: Uh, I mean, there there there's plenty. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the hard to uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take one while you're thinking. I'll okay, let you marinate because one one yeah. came up to me, and this cool.
2: is this is one of my funniest mentor stories. So, um, one of my first mentors, who was lucky enough to be a physician and an informaticist. So, what was her name? Uh, Dr. Doug Martin. So he was yeah. uh, he was an informatics guy as well, but also a family physician. And then he literally wrote the code that created like the uh, Veterans Administration's electronic medical record. So the guy wow. is off the charts amazing. Um, I think literally my third week and you know, he plucked me out of the informatics program and doing great stuff within there. And I was like, this guy's so amazing. He, uh, he said, we're, uh, we're going to fire somebody and I want you to come in with me. And I said, why, why would I want to be in there? Why would I want to do that? Uh, and he goes, cause you're going to be having to do this when you, when you, uh, grow up in this area, when you get more experience. So wow. while it was a horrible traumatic experience, to do. Um, You're gonna have to describe that for me. The, the learn <laughs> well, we can't get too detailed about who who was and where. Fair enough. Uh, fair while, enough. while it was a what was a horrible experience to actually like physically think about somebody losing their job, and, sure, and that's never sure. a fun thing. It is no. part of life. It's part of what we do. Um, but I think you learn that it is a privilege to be where you are and, and, and be able to be working somewhere, wherever that place might be. And, um, know that for all the good times, there's the hard times. So you always need to just understand to keep yourself level and keep yourself humble. Um, that, that I feel like that experience just gave me like 15 experiences, um, in and of itself from it. That's so, a great example. Yeah. Did you think of one Roger?
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I had, a, I was a little bit of a, of a latent sort of leader in my career, like, I, I never really saw myself in, like, official positions of leadership for, for quite a while. I mm-hmm. felt I was more as an engineer or an architect or a designer or whatever, and so kind of... More of an individual contributor. Right, and so then, um, kind of when the, when I was at Angie's List and, and some of the major projects were starting to starting to happen, I kind of found myself in, in leadership adjacent positions, but I wasn't, like, officially the manager or, or whatever, and I was... Um, Kind of complaining about a situation that was happening to one of my mentors there at Angie's List, and 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 he said to me, "Well, well, like, like, what what would you do?" And I said, "Well, this is what we should do." He's like, "Well, then you just tell those people what to do," and he he's like he's like, "If if you find yourself in a situation where like a, a group of people needs leadership, like just do it, like step up and do it." And so I was kind of nervous about that because it kind of went against you know kind of went against that um, I guess maybe lack of confidence I had. But then the next time that thing happened, I did that and people just started doing it. And I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. So,
2: so, so I'm so curious. And, and I feel like now this is now that you said that this sparked in me, I feel yeah. like as mentors, Roger and I, for others in a variety of capacities, one of the things that, that I do, and I'm sure you do this all the time as well is when a situation presents itself, I actually ask that same question. Well, what would you do about it? Um, so no, number That's one, good question, number guys. one, I'm actually genuinely mm-hmm. interested to hear what that individual will do. And right. in that case, your mentor was genuinely interested in what Absolutely. you would do. And what was that mentor's name?
0: Uh, his name is John Hurst. Nice. Good shout out. Props. Yeah. I like how you give the plugs there for everybody. i know. sorry.
2: I got to tell Doug Martin now. I (laughs) got to tell him to listen to this podcast. This is how we grow our audience
1: base. One, one, one mentor at a time. Right. right? (laughs)
2: No, but then it also gives uh, that person an opportunity to like grow in and of themselves. So that was the second part of of what I was saying. So just, that's a really cool, cool thing. I think we just do automatically, mechanically. We don't think about very much, but.
1: Well, for those that don't do it yet, now's, now's a chance to give it a try. Uh, Before we close, um, Jeremy, you mentioned some of the awesome things happening here in Indianapolis. Uh, Roger, I know you spent a lot of your career uh, and most of your tech career here in Indianapolis. Um, What are some of the things you've seen change and what are you most excited about right now in the indie tech
0: community? Well, to me, the biggest change is just that the sheer quantity of opportunities. So when I got here in 2004, you had interactive intelligence, you had um exact target you had angie's list just kind of barely and there was a very small number of, of larger players in town and that was pretty much it and now like with we, we still have a lot of those great big companies here we've got the scale-ups we've got all the new stuff coming out of high alpha and g beta and so just the sheer quantity of opportunity has is, is really been awesome it's a good time to jump in cool any uh
1: any advice for someone in the tech community before we hop off here Literally could be a, any professional at any level. But uh, one, one, maybe one piece of advice that has served you well.
2: I mean, I, I feel like just get out in the community. And, yeah. you know, I'm going to eat my own words here. I, I have not been as great as Roger in the community. I've just been really focused on my teams and my companies. And uh, one goal of mine uh, just prior to coming to Springbok was just to get out there and meet more people and try to get um, to all the various events so obviously you know, certainly going to things like powder keg and all the different meetups i mentioned product tank earlier so many good ones um, yeah i mean I'm, I'm learning from my team even about all the other ones that are expanding and there, there seems to be all new burgeoning ones from time to time totally. but, but product, i mean product really has evolved so much uh if you even look at the last three years let alone last five years or or, or 15 years i just don't even know that it was accepted so i think product manager specifically my advice is you know, number one, just read as much as you can, find the best articles everywhere, try to attend some of the great conferences that exist out there, um, and then try to find in the community your peers and, and understand what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, meet them for coffees in the morning, meet them for beers in the afternoon. Um, and, and the more that you can do that, I think the more that you, you get accustomed into your own skin and say, you yeah, know, I, I feel like what we are doing is is, is good, right? And it's kind of help you. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. And part and parcel of that, I would say just ask questions. So um, a lot of companies are going through the same challenges. A lot of companies are going, having the same technical questions. Even if two engineers are meeting up and just sharing stories about how'd you build this or, or what kind of problems are you having with this? Just ask questions and, and that'll get a conversation going. I love that. I love that. Thank you. I could ask you questions all day, but yeah, uh, <laughs> That's
1: our time for the show. Thank you both for sharing your stories and being a part of this awesome community. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I really appreciate it.